African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. In the headlines, hoax bomb threat forces and Egypt airplane to make an emergency landing, the DRC to launch a new crackdown on criminal gangs and suspected human trafficking kingpin extradited from Sudan to Italy. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. A bomb threat that forced an Egypt air flight to China to make an emergency landing in Uzbekistan has turned out to be a hoax. The airline received a call claiming there was a bomb on board. The plane carrying 118 passengers was evacuated and searched, but no explosives were found. Egypt Air has received a number of bomb threats since one of its aircraft crashed into the Mediterranean on the 19th of May, but all have turned out to be hoaxes. The Democratic Republic of Congo's government says it will launch a fresh crackdown on criminal gangs. The Interior and Security Minister announced the new campaign at the release of a long-awaited government report into Operation Likufi, a three-month crackdown against gangs in the capital that started in November 2013. Meanwhile, the government also defended its previous operation against allegations from a human rights group that it executed 51 people. U.S. Human Rights Advocacy Group Human Rights Watch said police summarily executed at least 51 people during Operation Dukofi and were responsible for the disappearance of at least 33 more. An Eritrean man suspected of running a major people smuggling network has been extradited to Italy from Sudan. Italian prosecutors say Merad Medahani was the head of one of the most important criminal groups operating in Central Africa and Libya to traffic migrants into Europe. He suspected of working with an Ethiopian who is still at large. Between them, they allegedly raked in huge sums of money by bringing migrants from Libya to Italy across the Mediterranean on overcrowded and often often unseaworthy boats. The director of a major new Nelson Mandela biopic says America's CIA should own up to what it calls its involvement in the arrest of the late former South African president by the apartheid police in 1962. John Irvin, whose film Mandela's gun is out later this year, 
interviewed alleged former U.S. intelligence agent Donald Rickard for the film. Rickard admitted to tipping off the South African authorities to Mandela's whereabouts before his arrest. The CIA has not commented on the story, but Irvin says the U.S. intelligence agency should come clean. I think they should just own up. I mean, say this is where we were. This is the context in which we made these decisions. And, you know, it's... For us to judge whether it was a, a valid um, action or, you know, it was decent or indecent. And finally, the Nigerian Football Federation says it's deeply saddened by the death of the former captain of the Nigerian national team, Stephen Keshi. The 54-year-old died of cardiac arrest in Benin City. He rose to national prominence when he debuted for the Super Eagles in 1981 at the age of 20. Keshi lost his wife of 35 years, Kate, last year after a prolonged battle with cancer. Former Nigerian international soccer player Greg Itafia says although Keshi's death is a huge loss for Nigeria, his life should be celebrated. The big boys is a great loss for Nigerian football. It's very unfortunately, but God knows the best. May so rest in perfect peace. You know. But uh, the whole Nigeria is very short now. And so after losing his wife uh, six months back, and now he passed on. The whole family, they're very shocked. But at the end of the day, we just have to celebrate his life. You know, the only Nigerian coaches that won the African Cup of Nation as a player and as a coach. He's one of the few Nigerians that plays for the national team when he was in the secondary school. So he brought a lot of joy to Nigeria. So we just have to celebrate him. Recapping the top stories, hoax bomb threat forces and Egypt air plan to make an emergency landing. The DRC is to launch a new crackdown on criminal gangs and suspected human trafficking kingpin has been extradited from Sudan to Italy. Well, thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. This is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you to Anne Musa for that news update. Remember, if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 802. And uh, remember, if you're listening to us on shortwave, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're looking and asking the question, is it over when it comes to the Ebola virus outbreak? That's what we're going to be looking at today. We know that recently the World Health Organization joined the government on Sierra Leone and marking the end of the Ebola virus disease in the country. This came after 42 days had passed since the last person was confirmed to have the disease. Now, this uh, announcement, latest announcement of the flare-up of Ebola brings to the number of 350 and 90, the number of lives lost in Sierra Leone alone to an epidemic that devastated families and communities across the country in every aspect of life. We know that we thought that the uh, Ebola was over (laughs) when the Liberia Ebola epidemic uh, ended uh, in uh, Liberia, and it seemed like it wasn't the end. So today we want to look at really 
really is it over and what were the consequences of the Ebola virus joining us on the line we've got Dr. Adinoya Deiza who is uh, from the organization of the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies he's the health care coordinator for Africa I think he's joining us from Sierra Leone if I'm not mistaken and we've got Dr. Jubalbai Benjamin who is a senior health officer of the head of mission at the African Union to Ebola outbreak in West Africa actually we spoke to some of the students that came from South Africa when the Ebola virus was starting out we've been tracking the story for a long time so we know that the African Union has also been uh, really fast tracking this process of dealing with the Ebola virus let me start the conversation with you Dr. Adiza thank you for giving us your time um, thank you very much. I'm based in Nairobi. I'm speaking to you from Nairobi, actually. Oh, fantastic. Now, tell us a little bit about the point that we find ourselves in. We're informed that now it's been contained, Ebola, and we've been told that it's been eliminated. So is this true, or should we still be cautious, Doctor? Um, thank you for the question. I think um, um, to start with, I would say, yes, what you're saying about Ebola being contained at the moment or that the spread um, has been contained. Um, however, I think um, it will be too uh, early to say that it has been eliminated. Um, I think uh, the ultimate goal, um, which I think um, every actor is working towards now, is to ensure that um, we put uh, the Ebola spread under control. Mm. And tell us a little bit about the latest uh, moment for Sierra Leone, saying that it's marking the end of the Ebola virus. How important was this announcement? Um, I'm, I'm sure you're talking about the recent declaration about Guinea. Yes, yes, uh, Guinea, Guinea as well. Yeah, I, I think that this is a very good uh, news for all of us and a very good uh, news for announcement for the country. Uh, because um, uh, in the course of the past two years, we have seen that there has been a lot of struggle uh, by the various actors and, of course, the governments of these uh, countries to really put Ebola under control. And uh, this recent announcement can uh, really help the government to begin to look at a way, new ways of rebuilding their systems, rebuilding the economy, which, of course, was almost coming to a halt because of the Ebola response. Mm. So I think um, that is a very positive announcement for both the government of uh, Guinea and also the actors who are in the country. Mm. Let me come to you, Dr. Uh, Julbaye Benjamin, who's from the African Union Commission, and uh, he's part of the head of mission at the African Union support to Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Dr. Benjamin, thank you for giving us your time. In terms of the moment that we find ourselves, this is a breakthrough moment for Africa. What can you say contributed to this success? It seems that we've worked very hard as a continent for containment. Yeah, thank you. First of all, thank you very much for this opportunity to join you for this uh, interview um, and uh, receive my greetings from Addis Ababa. Um, one of the, the contributed factors to, to that success is, number one, um, the affected country's leadership themselves. You know, nothing can be achieved without the country's leadership. And number two is the support, you know, uh, received from all the international community and 
when you put all that together, you know, it has contributed to the success of the fight against Ebola. So for this moment, this is what I can say. Hmm. And also in terms of uh, the, you know, the kind of uh, international contribution that we saw, we saw organizations such as the WHO, the IFRC as we're speaking to them right now, and also the African Union being part of this. I know that I spoke to the AU Commission last year, uh, Dr. Nkosazana Azamini, the AU Commission Chair, and we're speaking about really her, her efforts to actually mobilize the continent, and it seemed like it was central to her mission last year to actually see us pinned down this issue of Ebola. Tell us a little bit about the African Union's efforts in this regard, uh, Dr. Benjamin. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I think we, when WHO declared Ebola, you know, a uh, public health emergency of international concern, um, the, the, the first thing that the African Union did is to, you know, to put up a call uh, for the volunteers to go and help you know, uh, the workforce of the, the three affected countries that, you know, uh, was depleted by, by the Ebola virus. So uh, our contributions were, you know, was at a financial level, um, human resource, and also logistics. So those are the But the most important is uh, uh, especially our mobilization. We have deployed all together 855 most needed human capacities to to the three affected countries. So mm. our contribution was uh, mainly, mainly, mainly human resources. Uh, during the, the Ebola outbreak early in uh, August, we have sent a, an evaluation mission in the affected countries to try to identify what are the gaps in terms of the response to the outbreak. And we realized together with the affected countries that the most needed uh, uh, at that time was, you know, the human resource, and we that is the reason why we have deployed, you know, the the, the human capacity in terms of uh, medical doctors, lab technicians, you know, nurses, mm-hmm. uh, paramedics, and all sort of, you know, uh, human resource that uh, uh, the response uh, need uh, needs at that time. Mm. Dr. Adiza, let me bring you in as was highlighted there by Dr. Benjamin we saw a huge mobilization process and this was important at the beginning because I remember when I was starting to do the story, everyone was talking about mobilization getting people actually vaccinated, that was such an important area as well and just getting the word out there and the issue of containment was also central Uh, what lessons did we learn especially from the beginning uh, periods of the outbreak of Ebola um, thank you very much. I, I think um, uh, if I would say from the beginning, um, what we learned, um, of course, was that um, when we have an outbreak of this dimension, of this type, and of this proportion, um, I think the best way to approach it from the beginning is to have a massive consolidation of response strategy which I think was one of the defining factors of the success that we have today with the Ebola response. Uh, because um, at the beginning, there were many fragmentation. Everybody, every actor was doing his own thing. But at the, at, in the middle of it, when we saw the escalation of the situation, I think it was 
unanimous that we needed to bring all actors together. We needed to consolidate our response strategies in order to ensure that we leverage on the uh, a competitive advantage of each of the actors to ensure that we get good success. So I think this is one of the things that I think we really have learned that we need to really have a coordinated response from the beginning when next we have. And most importantly, we need to have systems in place, preparedness uh, 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 frameworks in place to ensure that when we have this kind of epidemic, when we have this kind of outbreak, it does not go out of hand. Mm. Well, we'll come back and deal with some of the lessons that we have learned. If you're just joining us, I've got Dr. Jobai Benjamin, who's a senior health officer, joining us from Addis Ababa at the African Union uh, uh, headquarters. He's the head of mission of the African Union support Ebola outbreak in West Africa. So these are the people who are right in the action of dealing with Ebola. I also have Dr. Edinoyi Adiza, who is the IFRC healthcare coordinator for Africa and they're joining us on the line to assist us really to unpack the success story of the mobilization behind dealing with the outbreak. We know that the latest announcement was that the uh, declaration of uh, uh, the Republic of Guinea of the end of the Ebola virus transmission. We know before that it was Sierra Leone and before that it was Liberia. So we've seen a positive outcome but there's still things to be looking out for. So we'll be speaking to our experts on the line really to look at some of the areas on what we should, we should be cautious about but also I'm more interested about the success story and maybe uh, both of our guests can tell us of maybe some personal stories of how they engaged with this uh, very interesting dynamic uh, of health that we saw in, 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 in Africa. Give us your thoughts. Remember we want to hear from you. You can SMS us your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're with me for the next hour or so. Uh, we've got around 14 minutes of the program. But today we're going to be looking at the success story of our response to the Ebola outbreak. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Bari, etise, mache, mingabo, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne. Bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, on Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. 
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. If you don't know it yet, uh, we're already now on DSTV Channel 802. That's Channel 802, and that's where you can find us. We've moved from 902 and moved to 802. And on shortwave, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Now, we're speaking uh, to uh, Dr. Jobayi Benjamin, who's joining us from Addis Ababa. He's a senior health officer of the head of mission of the African Union support to Ebola outbreak in West Africa, which was pioneered really by the AU Commission. And also we have on the line Dr. Adinoye Dieza, who is from the FR, IFRC, rather, and he's the health and care coordinator for Africa. Dr. Benjamin, uh, Dr. Dieza, before we went on that break, spoke about some of the lessons that were learned at the beginning uh, of the outbreak. What could you say on your side were the lessons that you saw unfold at the beginning? of the outbreak okay I think uh, the lesson we we learned from uh, this Ebola outbreak from my side I I can recall you know six essential lessons the lesson number one is the speedy response and the deployment of the urgently needed you know human resources for health uh, in the three affected countries because when um, uh, the Peace and Security Council of the African Union authorized the deployment of the, the workforce. It took us, you know, um, three weeks to get people on the ground. This is the lesson number one. The lesson number two is the underlying principle and the flexibility of, the, you know, the African Union support to Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Yeah, in, in, in that response... You know, uh, we had uh, one of the largest deployments uh, of the, as I said, the, the, the much-needed human resource on the ground, and um, we deployed the people under the, um, the, the supervision and the management of the, all the, the national uh, incident management. So we did not went uh, have a parallel system, but we were embedded into the national response system. So this is one of the flexibilities uh, in the lesson number two that I have learned. The lesson number three is the collaboration and coordination among various actors. You know, we in years we have uh, and collaborated with UN family, uh, with uh, you know USCDC, with MSF, with Red Cross, and other other uh, international organizations. Also, uh, we we work very well with. Uh, you know, uh, countries like uh, Cuba, China, uh, with whom we manage and work together inside the Ebola treatment unit uh, in the affected countries. Also, uh, the lesson number four is uh, the partnership, in particular the partnership with the African private sector. And we have received the financial contribution and technical support, you know, from uh, different partners as well. Um, the lesson number five is African solidarity. Uh, the spirit of Africa helping Africans. Uh, it was very important. And the, the lesson number num, num, number six for me, which was a major lesson uh, in this outbreak, you know, for 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 for, for the AU, is especially you know uh, uh, we are now putting in place you know a, a medium to long term program to build Africa's capacity to deal with public health emergencies mm-hmm. and treat. So that one, uh, we have what we call AVOC, the African Health Volunteer Corps, mm. that has been approved by the head of state and the ministers of health, 
and it is a mechanism, you know, um, under the Africa CDC that has been just established, and this is also one of the lessons uh, Ebola has fast-tracked, you know, the establishment of the Africa Centers for Disease Control. Mm. So this AHOC, uh will be a mechanism that we can deploy people within 24 to 48 hours, you know, in, uh, you know, everywhere on this continent to respond to public health emergencies, humanitarian crisis, etc. So those are the lessons personally I, I have learned from this Ebola outbreak. Mm. I know also coming back to you, Dr. Adieza, was the issue of uh, training. And uh, I know that the Red Cross played a, a pivotal role here. There was a huge effort in terms of volunteering. I know that you guys trained 10,000 volunteers in the affected areas. That's a lot and a large number of people, as well as those countries that were at risk on how to conduct safe body management as well as community engagement. Tell us a little bit about this process, because I think this was also key yeah thank you very much i think i'm from the uh, side of the international federation of red cross uh we were of course uh, we had a commitment to support our national societies that is the Sierra red cross the guinea red cross and the liberia red cross uh to mount adequate response to be able to support their national government in uh in in breaking down the, the, the Ebola, uh, number of Ebola cases. Um, we, of course, had to invest a lot um, uh, through our donors who really supported us funding most of our, uh, our response strategies uh, to train volunteers, of course, who carried out um, activities as you have outlined. And um, I can tell you till date, um, our, through our volunteers, uh, we were able to reach 8.3 million people through social mobilization and beneficiary communication. Um, we were able to also uh, trace 97, over 97,000 Ebola contacts through the use of these volunteers who were trained. Um, we were able to also uh, safely bury over 57,000 bodies um, through the use of these trained volunteers, and also reach over 400,000 people through psychosocial support uh, uh, given to those who were affected mm-hmm. uh, by the Ebola crisis. So um, the investment in, the, in, in our volunteers really produced these um, results, um, which I feel was also a great contribution uh, uh, to bringing us to where we are with the Ebola uh, situation today in these three countries. Mm. Staying with you, Dr. Adiza, you know, at the beginning of it, we had a huge stage fright, really through the media. We saw really large numbers of bodies being buried. There were images of it everywhere. I remember at the beginning, it was such a big story. And now that things have actually, we're seeing the success story turning around. We're seeing not much being told about some of the responses and the success that we're seeing right now. Uh, and that I think that is a bit of an irresponsibility from mainstream media in itself. But uh, let's just go back a little bit and look at the effects of the Ebola outbreak itself. I know that a lot of lives in these countries that we're talking about, Guinea, Liberia, Sierra Leone, a lot of lives have been changed. The situations in the country have changed. So what have the effects been? I th- thank you very much. Um, as you would know, uh, prior to the outbreak, um, these three countries, of course, um, uh, had 
definitely certain kind of challenges with respect to their health system and the economy as a whole. Uh, if, if, uh, before the crisis, these three countries had less than two doctors per 100,000 of their population. And uh, of course, the crisis, during the crisis, due to the number of doctors and nurses that were affected or infected, um, this number reduced or this ratio reduced. And that is talking about just the healthcare system. And the, on the wider economy, we could we, 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 we see from World Bank reports that the economy of these three countries was in decline. Their growth mm -hmm. rate was declining uh, due to the response, which of course affected um, a, a larger part of their productive sector, uh, leading to economic decline in the generally, and also invariably leading to food deficits, thereby leading to um, uh, 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 poverty levels increasing. So I think um, this is the aftermath of what we'll be seeing in Ebola today in these three countries, and mm -hmm. that is why there should be concerted effort by various actors to put hands on board to support these countries to get back. Otherwise, we are going to be seeing heightened vulnerabilities as, as a result of poverty uh, post-Ebola, um, which of course will pose further challenges to the uh, health of the wider population in terms of access to healthcare, in terms of uh, uh, access to uh, food and access to uh, other social uh, uh, amenities that are needed for, 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 for good health. So I think uh, in a nutshell, this is the overview of the aftermath of Ebola that will be seen and that mm. needs mm. attention of the mainstream media, as you have mentioned, mm. to highlight this and ensure that uh, development partners uh, don't ignore this aftermath. Mm. Well, I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Jubalbai Benjamin. I have to take a quick break. Hey, what are your thoughts around the success story of the Ebola outbreak? We know there's still a lot of things to actually be done. There's still, we still have to be at a place that we're still analyzing the situation. But it seems like containment has been a success story. But uh, elimination, we're still not sure in that regard, as was highlighted by Dr. Dinoy Dieza. But when we come back, I'd like to pick Dr. Benjamin's uh, brain on that issue of the effects of the Ebola outbreak. What are your thoughts? Uh, what do you think of this success story? Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. You with me, Benjamin Mushatam, right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We've got one of our guests, Dr. Dieza from the F. Uh, IFRC. The IFRC is the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies joining us there from Nairobi and also Dr. Jubal Baye. Uh, Benjamin joins us from Addis Ababa. We're speaking to them really. They were in the action uh, around when this uh, epidemic was coming out and we had to see a coordination and internationally and from the continent of Africa to deal with this outbreak. It seems like we are on track. seems like things are going the way we want them to go. They could be worse. And don't forget that, that we should not take this for granted, these strides for granted. But we're going to take a quick break. It's 11.30 Central African time, and we'll continue with our guests. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. 
We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, we want to hear from you so you can tweet us at African Dialogue what you think about the successful story of the Ebola outbreak that we've actually contained the situation. Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. I just want to also thank our listeners who are listening to us from the USA. Remember, if you're from America, you can call us in and listen uh, via your telephone on 605-475-171. One, one. And uh, that's the way you can also listen, listen to us there. But today we're continuing this debate and this conversation on around is there uh, actually more that we can do to move things forward in terms of the successes that we've seen in terms of uh, the Ebola outbreak. Dr. Uh, Benjamin, I'm interested in terms of your thoughts around the effects of the Ebola outbreak. Maybe you want to extend the thought, some of the thoughts that uh, Dr. Ideza had. Come back again because uh, the, the, the last part of the sentence were cut. Now, I was just asking there, Dr. Benjamin, if you have some of your thoughts around the effects of the Ebola outbreak. Yeah, the, 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 the effect, you know, um, the effect number one was on, 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 on human, uh, you know, uh, resources for health. Uh, the, the impact on the health sector was very huge in terms of, you know, the life lost uh, during this uh, Ebola uh, outbreak. And uh, the effect on, at macro level, at the country level, you know, you have this uh, socioeconomic impact of Ebola uh, with all the travel ban, the restriction to the people movement, and all those things that have affected the socioeconomic, uh, uh, you know, effort of those different countries. You know, before Ebola, for a country like Syria and Leon, was one of the first growing economies in the world, you know. It was a double-digit growth uh, for Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. but um, uh, uh, 15 months after the Ebola outbreak, you know, the, the, the growth was, you know, completely down. It was completely down. So this was one of, of, of the effects, even at the family level, you know, uh, uh, people lost their lives, and uh, the people did not have access to, to treatment for other diseases, such as malaria, you know, HIV clinics, and all mm-hmm. those things. Everything was, you know, everything was closed. 
Um, so those those are the effects, but the, 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 we, we we cannot limit you know the effects on the socio-economic, but you have also anthropological you know uh, dimension of the the, the Ebola mm. in terms of the, the burial, the way people are doing the burial, it has changed completely because some countries have, have you know the, have adopted you know uh, a cremation you know for um, as as SOP you know. You know, and this is not in 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 in, in, in some cultures. It is not uh, allowed, but they have to do that. And it was so 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 difficult. So you have socio-economic impact, anthropological impact, even on education. Uh, schools were closed for almost two years, and all, so it was uh, it was a very very devastating uh, effect on on people. Mm. I'm also interested now, just uh, looking at some of the stories that you can tell us. Maybe you guys were in the action, Dr. Benjamin. I don't know if maybe you've got a narration to give us about some of the experiences, maybe being down uh, in one of the containment uh, centers. Tell us a little bit of something that stood out for you that's personal that you experienced during this uh, outbreak. Okay, uh, I, I can give you especially two examples, huh? mm, mm. one oh. in Liberia and one, 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 one in Sierra Leone. Mm. When we arrived in Liberia, you know, um, in terms of contact tracing, because if there is one Ebola case uh, in a community, you have to list all the contacts and trace them, you know, for at least 21 days mm. to see if any one come down with Ebola or not. But what we have realized when we arrived in Liberia, uh, the, 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 the contact listing and the contact tracing, it was below 20%. Mm. You know? And in uh, something like three weeks after we arrived, the contact listing and the contact uh, tracing you know, uh, rose from less than 20% to 200%. So that is one of the, the, the good lessons, the, the, the work our epidemiologists did. Mm. We had this uh, in, in uh, um, a Makeni area in the northern part of Sierra Leone. There is one Ebola treatment unit. When we arrived there, the survivor rights uh, in this um, uh, Ebola treatment center was uh, below 20%. So people, uh, you know, uh, uh, and the case fertility rate was so, 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 so high. But when we, uh, the government said, uh, African Union, you take this uh, ETU, uh, this Ebola treatment unit, you manage it. When we went there, you know, the survival uh, rate rose from less than 20% to 68%. Mm-hmm. So this is unprecedented in the history of Ebola. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the success stories that I, I can tell. The mm-hmm. other success story that it is at now, uh, um, um, at the continental level is the mobilization of the African private sector. Mm. The African private sector was the single and the largest contributor, you know, to the fight against Ebola from the African Union point of view. You know, they have mobilized resources and all we did, you know, yes, some partners have contributed, but the single largest contributor to the fight against Ebola was the African private sector. They have uh, established wow. a trust mm. fund to support the African Union 
you know, uh, in the fight against Ebola. So those are the three, uh, you know, three major successes mm, that I have. Mm, mm. Let me come to you, Dr. Ideza. I've got, I don't have enough time. Just in a short, uh, maybe, n- narration, can you give us maybe your personal thing that you experienced during this outbreak? Because it was a very unique time, especially for healthcare specialists and experts to find themselves in the middle of this crisis. Uh, thank you. I think um, in terms of personal uh, 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 reflection, I would rather maybe speak on what my colleagues and everybody who has engaged in that um, experience uh, as, uh, as an institutional experience as well, mm. is the fact that um, um, in the, at the beginning, people did not have an understanding of what this was, and those who volunteered to pull their foot out and go in, um, coming out, they had a kind of stigma around them. People were not really sure um, how to receive these people mm. in, in, coming back home. And, and this was like a shocking uh, situation for both those who had gone and even those of us who were deploying these people. So I think this is a, 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 an experience that was... Uh, are seen across many of our health personnel that were going in and coming out. And uh, it's something that really talks about or tells us so much about how much people are unaware of uh, most of these diseases. And this also calls for more communication, more engagement of people uh, to ensure that they have knowledge of uh, this kind of outbreak. So uh, from our perspective, that is an experience that I think is shared across many of our health Mm. Mm. Dr. Adiza, staying with you it'll be irresponsible for me to end this program without asking this question, what should be done to ensure that there isn't another flare-up and that we still monitor the the progress in the many countries that were affected by Ebola Okay Um, Two things I would mention we we need to support these countries uh, to be well prepared to have their system strengthened, to have their surveillance mechanisms uh, effective, mm. and to ensure that mechanisms uh, for response are in place whenever any case, a single case, is detected. I mean, a single case occurs, it should be detected immediately and, of course, effectively managed. And to this effect, on the last note, is that as Red Cross, Red Crescent, the International Federation of Red Cross is supporting these three countries in building community event-based surveillance system uh, through the network of volunteers to ensure that whenever there is any single case in the community, we are able to support uh, the national surveillance system to detect it. Mm-hmm. Your final sentiments there, uh, Dr. Benjamin, in terms of uh, the uh, area whereby we need to actually monitor the situation currently, what more needs to be done? Okay, uh, what, what, what needs to be done is, uh, you know, to have a very uh, efficient and robust, you know, surveillance system in place so that if there is any event, the system can capture and monitor. Uh, this is the only way, you know, we we we, we can, uh, you know, be, you know, um, uh, we can we can respond quickly to to any event. 
if you don't have this robust, uh, you know, uh, health information system in place, it will be very, very difficult, and we will be always be surprised by, mm. you know, events mm. such as Ebola or any other outbreak. Mm. Well, thank you both of you for giving us your time and thank you for championing this cause and being in the center of this success story. Thank you to Dr. Julbai Benjamin, who is a senior health officer at the head of mission of the African Union support to Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Thank you for giving us your time there in Addis Ababa. Uh, greet the AU Commission for us here in Channel Africa. And uh, thank you to Dr. Dinoye Dieza, who is uh, also from the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. He's a health and care coordinator for Africa joining us in Nairobi. We thank you for giving us your time there and your beautiful country there, Kenya. Thank you both for giving us your time. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you. Thank you. Well, what are your thoughts? Uh, we've given you the expert's voice. Uh, I'm sure you have your personal voice on what needs to be done to ensure that we don't find ourselves in the place that we found ourselves two years ago. Give us your thoughts on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. We want to hear from you. Another way you can interact with us is going to our Facebook page, our Facebook page is on our uh, it's just you just type in that uh, uh, search icon Channel Africa and you'll find our page it's simply titled that Channel Africa we're going to take a quick break with Sani Matebula is walking in he'll give us our economics news after this Mbote, Ndemne, Bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, on Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Good morning with your economics news. I'm Musani Matebula, South Africa's National Union of Mine Workers, which has a majority of membership at the Northern Platinum's Sonderrand Mine in Limpopo Province, has called on the police minister to set up a commission of inquiry to investigate the killings of its members in the area. About six union members have been killed between 2015 and 2016. A 45-year-old NUM member was killed on Monday. NUM Deputy President Joseph Munzi says it's a time action is taken to protect its members. Of all the cases of uh, six members, that was members of NUM that have been killed, no one has been sentenced uh, by any court in this country. All of them, they, there's level of evidence. So uh, we, we are exhausted. We don't know what to do, but we have uh, taken a position as the organization. Uh, we have written a letter to the Minister of the Police we want all those cases, all those, we want a commission of inquiry actually, about the uh, continuous uh, killings of our members in that area. Meanwhile, AMQ President Joseph Matunjo has blamed what he terms as secret meetings for the current situation at the mine. APS and the loan mean management and the NUM happened to hold these secret meetings 
and leaving AMCO outside. As a result, the workers were massacred by the government. So we are very concerned about this tendency. To East Africa now in Kenya, Centum Investment says its pretext profit has risen 23% to 107.9 million US dollars in the year to end March 2016. The company, which invests in listed and private firms and real estate, says investment income more than doubled. Centum has not uh, paid a dividend for the full year to end March 2015. And Kenya has absorbed less than a third of uh, 5.6 billion US dollars lent by the World Bank in the last three years. According to the National Treasury, the absorption rate averages 30%. This was revealed by the Director General of the Directorate of Public Debt Management in the Ministry of National Treasury, Wahorondoho, during the World Bank Open Day, which was held today at Nairobi Club earlier this morning. And uh, to Rwanda, the Bank of Kigali scooped uh, the best bank in Rwanda, accolade in 2016, the Banker Africa Awards for the East African region. The awards are organized annually by the CPI Financial Publication. The bank was announced at uh, a winner's gala in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, last week. Financial indicators, the dollar trading at 14.88 to the South African rand, 10.75 Botswana Pula and 10.51 against the Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.66 uh, to the British pound and 0.88 against the euro. Commodities now gold $1,249, platinum at $999 per fine ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $51.50 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Wamusibudi Makura is with us to give us our sports news. Thank you, Benjamin. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with football news, the African Football Fraternity is mourning the death of former Nigerian captain and coach Stephen Keshi, who died from a cardiac arrest at the age of 54. Keshi died suddenly in the early hours of Wednesday morning in Benin City in southern Nigeria. He was planning to return to his base in the United States later in the day. According to close family sources, Keshi complained of being unwell just before midnight on Tuesday, and he was found to be gasping for breath. He was rushed to Faith Hospital in the Benin government reservation area where he died in the early hours of the morning. Nigeria Football Federation spokesperson Ademola Olaji says Keshi was a beacon of world football. Keshi was special in every area. You know, he had the the elegance, he has the he had the 
you know, that confidence in him. And, uh, you know, he, he knew how to rally his troops, you know, uh, whenever the things were done. He, you know, he, he led Nigeria very well, both as a player and a coach. He captained Nigeria to Nigeria's first World Cup. Uh, he, he was the first uh, Nigerian uh, coach to win the Africa Cup of Nations for Nigeria. You know, he led Nigeria to the round of 16 at the World Cup. You know, so many things, you know, that we remember him. After winning 65 Nigeria caps as a central defender between 1981 and 1995, Keshi had three stints in charge of Togo before taking over as Nigeria coach in 2011. He also coached Mali between 2008 and 2010. He led Nigeria to the 2013 Africa Cup of Nations title in South Africa after defeating Burkina Faso in the final before guiding them to the second round of the 2014 World Cup in Brazil. Meanwhile, Ben Alaya, editor-in-chief of Sports Day newspaper in Nigeria, who also worked with Keshi for four years as a media officer of the Super Eagles between 2011 and 2015, says he shattered about Keshi's death. It's unbelievable, and uh, we are bringing ourselves uh, to still think that uh, it is uh, real that the big boss, as we call him here in our climbs, uh, is passed on. Uh, if I did speak to uh, his uh, brother, Imadu, and others, I would have said, uh, don't take him to the morgue yet. Let's, let's keep him. He will wake up. Maybe he was just sleeping. But it's, it's sad that he's passed on. I've worked with him for nearly four years, and he was an amazing character, an inspirational person. Somebody you work with, and uh, he makes you happy all the time. No matter the provocations, he hates injustice. Is just the type of coach that the world needs at this moment. Unfortunately, he's gone. Stephen Keshi was in contention for the Orlando Pirates job and would have most definitely worked in South Africa's Premier Soccer League next season, according to the late coach's agent, Tim Sukazi. The big boss was linked with the Orlando Pirates coaching job and some suggested he had already signed with the PSL Giants. And while his agent clarified that Keshi never signed with Pirates, he has, however, admitted that the former Super Eagles coach was a contender for the job. On to cricket news. The third test of the series against Australia in Adelaide, um, in, Adelaide, um, in, Adelaide, in Adelaide rather, later this year between South Africa as well as Australia um, starting on the 24th of November later this year will be a day-night fixture. Cricket South Africa announced this on Wednesday. The protests are scheduled to arrive in Australia in mid-October and will proceed immediately to Adelaide to play a warm-up match with a pink ball under lights as part of the Preparations. This will be the very first time they will be exposed to such conditions. An additional warm-up match under lights prior to the third test is also being played, uh, planned, rather, giving the players a, few, a further opportunity to acclimatise to the pink ball. In addition to the warm-up matches, the first four-day match of the incoming A series between Australia A as well as South Africa A, starting on the 30th of July, will also be played with the pink ball. And finally, netball news. The upcoming Spa Challenge International Netball Tennis, um, rather Test Series, style between South Africa and Wales is an ideal opportunity for the Proteas to gauge how far they have come since the Netball World Cup in Sydney last year. The top 10, uh, the top 210, the top 210, uh, sorry, the top 
the two top 10 world-ranked netball nations. South Africa, who's ranked fifth in the world, as well as Wales, who are ranked six, um, eighth in the world, will do battle at the Durban ICC for the um, for the tournament, which begins from the 17th to the 19th of June. This is the view of Spa Proteus captain Marika Holtenhausen, who said the three-test series would also enable the team to put into practice what they have learned during an intensive training session under the coaching staff of Noma Plummer, Nicole Kuzak, as well as Dorit Bardemust. It's definitely very important. Every time you play a test series for your country, um, you want to do well, especially um, for us being a new group of players together with a few new players coming in. We want, want to show that, that we want to be there, that we uh, deserve to be there, um, and we want to make um, our country and our coaching staff proud. So definitely important for us to see how far we've come from World Cup um, and especially also very important to see how far we still need to go before we take on Australia, New Zealand and England later in the year. Those are sports news at the hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap it up. What an informative program we had today looking at the successes of the Ebola virus. And we still know there's still a lot that needs to be done. So give us your thoughts on this topic on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org that's info at channelafrica.org and uh, remember that you can also find us on twitter at african dialogue hey tomorrow we might have been looking at a very much of um, um a positive story today and i am really really grateful that we were able to do the story today but tomorrow we're going to be looking at another set story looking at modern slavery on the continent of africa how does that look like so we'll be looking at that tomorrow uh, you know sometimes we think slavery is an old thing that doesn't exist anymore but modern slavery is very very real and uh, is probably worse than what has happened in our history but we'll look at that a little bit uh, uh, more tomorrow so do join us right here at the same place same time on African Dialogue. Hey we're going to wrap it up with Jonathan Butler. This one is titled You've Got to Believe in Something.